The Merry Beggars at Relevant Radio present Episode 9 Waiting When Marley had said these words, the spectre took its wrapper from the table and bounded round its head as before. Scrooge knew this by the smart sound its teeth made when the jaws were brought together by the bandage. He ventured to raise his eyes again and found his supernatural visitor confronting him in an erect attitude with its chain wound over and about its arm. The apparition walked backward from him and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little so that when the spectre reached it, it was wide open. Come. It beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did. When they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up its hand, warning him to come no nearer. Scrooge stopped. Not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear. For on the raising of the hand, he became sensible of confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamentation and regret, wailings inexpressibly sorrowful and self-accusatory. The spectre, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirge and floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed to the window, desperate in his curiosity. He looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some few, they might be guilty governments, were linked together. None were free. That's John Harris. And Thomas Carter. No, it can't be. Charles! Charles! He had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankle who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep. The misery with them all was, clearly, that they sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost the power forever. Whether these creatures faded into mist or mist enshrouded them, he could not tell but they and their spirit voices faded together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. Still locked, both of them. Nothing changed, nothing disturbed. Oh, hum. Hum. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable. And being, from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed without even so much as drawing the bed curtains closed, without undressing, and fell asleep upon the instant. I don't see her. I can't see I swear it never. <coughs> what? Who is it? Huh? Ah. Ah. Oh, it was just a, 
Oh, a terrible dream. Some, some of that, some of that beef, no doubt, spoiled, yeah, spoiled beef. <sighs> when Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was endeavouring to pierce the darkness with his ferret eyes when the chimes of a neighbouring church struck the four quarters. So he listened for the hour. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven, and from seven to eight, and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve? Twelve? No, no, that can't be right. It was only past two when I went to bed. The clock must be wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve? Hold on, let me check it. Ah, here we go. My clock. Let me just touch the repeater and press. And here. One, two, three, four. That's six. Eight. Ten. Eleven. Twelve. It is impossible. I can't have slept through a whole day and far into another night. It, it's as black as pitch in here, and completely dark. It isn't possible that anything has happened to the sun, and this is twelve at noon. Ah, here's the window. Now. He was obliged to rub the frost off with the sleeve of his dressing gown before he could see anything, and could see very little then. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy and extremely cold, and that there was no noise of people running to and fro and making a great stir, as there unquestionably would have been if night had beaten off bright day and taken possession of the world. Scrooge went to bed again, and thought, and thought, and thought it over and over and over, and could make nothing of it. The more he thought, the more perplexed he was, and the more he endeavoured not to think, the more he thought. It must be a dream. And the clock must have been wrong. And I must... I must... I, I must have had some manner of indigestion, of irritation or discomfort from a meal. It must have. It must have. Marley's ghost bothered him exceedingly. Every time he resolved within himself, after mature inquiry, that it was all a dream, his mind flew back again, like a strong spring released to its first position, and presented the same problem to be worked all through. Was it a dream, or not? A quarter to one. A quarter to one? Why, that's when Jacob said the first spirit would come. But that's... that's but a dream. Enough. Enough of that. Yet, yet... I'll just... I'll just... Stay awake. I'll stay awake until one, and then fall asleep, just to, just to make sure. Scrooge resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, and, considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, this was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. The quarter was so long that he was more than once convinced he must have sunk into a doze unconsciously and missed the clock. At length it broke upon his listening ear. 
Quarter past. Half past. A quarter to it. The hour itself, <laughs> nothing else. He spoke before the hour bell sounded, which it now did with a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn. Subscribe at adventwithscrooge.com for the next episode of A Christmas Carol. And download a free companion guide with activities, questions, and coloring pages. Subscribe for free at adventwithscrooge.com. adventwithscrooge.com.